Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw. Ugh. Movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the po- the Trilon. Oh my goodness, it's our guests. No, I do not. I don't. We Jason, go, we go, is that we go you? through. Is it? Is it me? We this is the test. test. We have to take this. The is test the now. test? Put this in your. Uh, <laughs> uh, my excuse me. I haven't even gotten to the Trilon. The Trilon, you can find them at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org where you can get tickets and merch and a bunch of other cool things during quarantine because that's still what we are. My name is Jason Daphnis. I always thought I was the only alien on this podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I'm forever speaking out against the injustice that is 90s media egregiously misrepresenting the effects that caffeine pills have on people. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm just doing my part for the deconstruction of America. I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And today we are very pleased to be joined by two very special guests returning. Uh, first, we have uh, Eric Leith returning from our Alien, Aliens, uh, numerous other episodes, and most recently, our A Goofy Movie Dramatic Table Read. Thank you very much, Aaron. Eric, Jesus. Oh, he's still in my mind. Eric, for being here. Absolutely. And I will, um, if I'm going to take the mantle of Aaron, I'll talk about how fine a film this truly is. <laughs> Thank you. We needed that uh, vital voice in this episode. Uh, and we are also joined by, you know him from our Time Bandits episode. You know him as our Bruno correspondent, and you know him as the man sitting approximately 20 feet away from me uh, with drywall and wood between us. It is Seth Zarati. Thank you very much, Seth Zarati, for being on our podcast. Thank you. Uh, when I'm not busy talking about this cult classic, I am being forbidden from flogging the bishop. You can find me <laughs> at SN Zarati. Oh, that's not true. Uh, Today we are talking about The Faculty, a 1998 film directed by Robert Rodriguez. If you can't tell, I'm going right into the patented Aaron Grossman summary. Uh, 1998 film directed by Robert Rodriguez. It is currently playing at the Trilon alongside Night of the Creeps uh, during their Alien Invasion weekend. I should say that this is playing at the Trilon courtesy of Brian Darwas and the Church of Celluloid. Check them out. Um, Gave them a 35 millimeter print. Really strange to see this movie, this recent movie on 35, but a really fun treat. Uh, Okay, so this movie stars Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, St. Paul's own Josh Hartnett, Jordana Brewster, Robert Patrick, Clea Duvall, Sama Hayek, Famke Jansen, Piper Laurie, B.B. Newworth, uh, John Stewart, Usher, uh, and a bunch of other people. It's a fucking host of a cast. Uh, it was written by Kevin Williamson, also known for um, writing Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. He was also set to direct this movie before leaving for another project. Uh, this is a sci-fi horror cult classic film. Um, went up against uh, sort of Scream as the comparison for horror. It did not perform quite as well as that. And Jordana Brewster had some fun stuff to say about what she expected between this movie and uh, Fast and the Furious. She thought that was going to be a little thing versus this was going to be sort of the big thing. Did not pan out that way, obviously. But 
uh, facing budget cuts, failing attendance, and the biggest football game of the year, the staff of an Ohio uh, high school starts, begins acting strangely, comes down to an unlikely fellowship of outsiders, the reluctantly popular, and the new kid to discover the reason behind this faculty's strange behavior that is vague enough that if you haven't seen the movie, you can sort of uh, turn back now and see it first because we are going to spoil it in full. But before we do that, I'm going to allow Eric to go through his very top level thoughts. Tell us what you want to talk about and what stuck out to you most, Eric. My top level thought. Well, um, you know, I'm going to save some of that meat and potatoes for when we get to the main course, of course. Uh, but one thing that I think was interesting that I looked into later and you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, Kevin Williamson, he, he made scream. I know what you did last summer. So he has the horror angle uh, covered there. What's more interesting, I think is how very much in his element he was with a teen film because he's also known for creating Dawson's Creek. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So um, yeah. And I think, uh, I think he did the uh, vampire diaries as well. I remember reading. So, um, he was uh, very much uh, the person to write this film, especially at the time, I think. And uh, that really bleeds through um, in, in terms of like, I, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, like the just ridiculously comfortable, enjoyable campiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The very childhood of it. Right. Uh, Great. Well, I'm going to allow Seth then to take over with a little bit of his, uh, I'm going to just say top level thoughts because my brain is failing and I can't think of anything else to frame this as Seth. Yeah. Um, I'm glad Eric brought up the campiness. I saw this movie at a slumber party, like when I was 10, uh, with one of my neighborhood friends. And I used to think like, Oh, this is a cheesy nineties horror movie. And then rewatching it, uh, with, sort of an expanded knowledge of film and culture, I was really able to appreciate, oh yeah, no, this this is a cheesy, uh, like campy horror movie, but that's by design. And so it's actually a good thing. Uh, and I, and I, was, uh, I was really impressed, honestly. Like I expected to be underwhelmed, but uh, really excited to talk about this more. And we're excited to talk about you, talk about it with, you i need some caffeine i know i need some caffeine please give me some so i can snort it uh but i want to give my very top level thoughts uh right here at the front you probably know generally what i think about this movie and what the rest of us think about this movie uh but it'll be fun to see how our takes clash um number one why do we got to punch down at lesbians so much that was that was really rude and raw throughout uh it never like really reaches the full-throated like iconoclasm of alien or the thing uh clearly both movies that it takes such wild inspiration from um but it does like it seems very perfectly content to like like both seth and eric said poke fun at some of that, those monster movie tropes um and you know while doing a pretty earnest thing ultimately i think it it's you know about challenging authority and like finding yourself and uh being sort of like a subversive tale about uh, conservatism in small town america um but it doesn't always incorporate that earnest ethos in the most elegant ways uh see again like the constant poking at uh you know people of marginalized communities uh for no particular reason even when it's like in defense of them um but it's still always it's still always fun it is uh you know it has a really good pacing to it it is very um snappily shot and like just it knows when to be goofy and when to like try to dial up the tension i think it's pretty pretty, got a pretty good balance there um i do really like that it starts pretty much the same way as alien does uh you know the budget cuts scene um is 
mirrors in a lot of really fun ways the very opening scene where it's just like their collective bargaining and talking about how shitty their bosses are uh the opening scene of this movie or at least the largest opening scene excuse me the opening sequence includes a scene where the faculty is just receiving news that their budgets are being cut and then they're not able to go on uh vacation or excuse me uh, field trips or to get new computers because the football team needs new equipment and they need to be able to bring in more money so it's a very like sort of cynical uh you know where this movie's going from the very first scene and i really appreciate that about it um it is like i said ostensibly about sort of finding yourself in high school and like determining your own path uh the character of stan the football quarterback really embodies that of he wants to perform better at academics because he wants to be his own person he wants to earn the d that he gets in in math um but there's also like that class-based commentary going on that from the very first scene and from um by the time that we get to you know the uh fireworks explosions football scene uh, we've got you know that pretty on the nose takedown of uh you know how conservatism and about how backward tradition uh, sort of thrives in small town America without the influence of, you know, uh, multiple cultures and multiple viewpoints. It just sort of like thrives in that area. Um, uh, let's see, 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 let's see. I'm a little bit stuck by, uh, on where a lot of the characters end up at the end of this movie. And maybe we can talk about that sort of the credits and post credits see sequences. Um, uh, it seems like the things that they learned about each other and that we learned about them along the way didn't really translate to outcomes in the end. I don't know if that landed with anybody else in sort of a weird way, not enough to sour me on the, you know, what preceded it, but uh, just enough to make it feel like we didn't really have this in mind when we started the movie. Um, but anyway, that's front to back. My thoughts uh, in order of JCH, I'm going to pass to Cody. Thank you for the pass, Jason. Um, got it right here. Uh, yeah, I had never seen or really even uh, like I'd never heard of the faculty really up until recently uh, until we were talking about the trial on schedule. Uh, but I found it uh, quite easy to love this movie. Um, probably not too shocking. And I do want to take a little more time. I know we uh, Jason sort of outlined the the cast of this movie. I do want to take some more time and, and hype it up and maybe give some more context for it because top to bottom, this cast is fucking jacked I, I think is like the the official term for it um and it, it this movie captures these all of these actors at, at uh, sort of different points in their career trajectories and like really fascinating ways i think um so you, like for instance you got piper laurie um she's a, a pretty huge name who's at best playing like a secondary character in this movie um and, and she didn't do a ton after this film came out, pretty much all of her big hits were behind her. Um, previous episode, Carrie, for one, um, and shout out to the the Twin Peaks heads uh, who, if you if you're listening, um, <laughs> then you <laughs> that's that bar, arf arf indeed. Um, but then you look at someone like uh, Cleo Duvall, who, in retrospect, kind of low key owned the late '90s. Um, so this movie was 1998. Girl Interrupted, but I'm a cheerleader, and she's all that. Um, all came out the very next year in 1999. Um, so this was amidst her sort of like big, uh, you know, presence, I guess, if you want to call it that. And like, I'm not an expert on every actor here, uh, but there are a ton of recognizable names and faces, the ones Jason listed and many more. Um, and I know enough to at least appreciate like, you know, this was Famke Jansen pre X-Men. This was Jordana Brewster pre Fast and the Furious. This was Elijah Wood between his like child star stuff and Lord of the Rings. This was Usher pre uh, You Got It Bad. Um, and like, that's still just like scratching the surface, you know, and, and the fact that all these people came together to take part in a production that was very devoted to its genre and has so much obvious love for the history of that genre made me enjoy 
this movie that much more. And like part of that commitment to genre also seemed to come through in how like the creature effects were put together. Um, the robotics and, and plastics looked and felt different from whenever they needed to do like uh, computer animated stuff, but they at least tried to disguise the latter and highlight the former, um, which made it sort of appropriately campy for me. And like the same goes for the, like the sort of overacting we get, the over the top performances. I don't know if anyone here would argue that for instance, Robert Patrick wasn't aware of what kind of movie he was in, right? Um, like the word campy is probably going to continue to get thrown around a lot, but he and everybody else seemed to be pretty well on board for a campy homage. And that like, once that was clear to me, I was also on board for a movie that very clearly loves the thing and isn't a movie trying to blatantly rip off the thing, you know, and, and not pay its respects in that way. And like the thing, there are vague parallels you could draw about how isolation and being an outcast plays into the, the perils of the human experience. Uh, and I think injecting that into like a high school setting is uh, a very inspired idea, especially when you also toss in the perpetual war that rages between youth and older generations as these sort of like high school movies seem to do or, or like capture. Um, we get those overtones peppered in throughout and then a little bit more at the end, but uh, we never get bogged down by those. And that's probably how it should be. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, this was a ton of fun. I'm glad we all saw it together at the Trilon Cinema. And now, uh, Harry, I know this looks like a microphone, but uh, if you could actually inhale sharply for me, there's some ground up caffeine pill dust. Uh, we, we just need to test to make sure you're actually you. So if you could just please take this from me here. <laughs> all right. There we yeah, go. That, was my, that was my shot at it. Okay. Um, nope, yeah. He's tweaking. He's tweaking. Give him a sec. Hey, buddy, I'm always tweaking. You know how it is. Um, I had so much coffee before this just to get in the, in the mode, right? Because that's what this movie's all about. Um, I, uh, this movie, it, it sits at an interesting intersection for me. Um, it's sort of like scientifically designed to hit a lot of my sweet spots. I'm a huge X-Files guy. I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer guy. Um, so like seeing, this is a role I've always wanted to see Robert Patrick specifically in. I always knew that he had this overacting in him, in his soul. Um, you could see it in the T-1000, you could see it on the X-Files. It was so, such a delight to finally see it here. Um, sort of like those shows in a lot of ways, this was surprising to me in that when I think about a campy 90s sort of horror slash camp slash comedy movie, the way that this one is, especially a coming of age movie, um, I think I have a pretty good handle on how it's going to be. I know what it's going to do well. I know what it's going to fumble. Um, and I have very specific sort of like point by point opinions on those things uh, that we can get into. But all in all, this was sort of a mixed bag for me in that there are certain things that it did far, far better than I thought it would. And in actually sort of like presenting its theme of um, anti-conformity and anti-authoritarianism um, and um, fear of the future and how uh, kids are under pressure to conform and why that, where that pressure comes from and what it really is. Uh, it, it handled a lot of those things and a lot of kids' responses to those things in a, in a much more nuanced way than I would have expected from something like this. Um, I really, really loved the way it handled the faculty themselves, especially early on in the scene that Jason, you alluded to, where they're just sort of like nihilists and you get the sense that like these are these are grown-up versions of the people we are already seeing the high schoolers become they don't get better it doesn't get better they actually get more broken down by the system that's a very 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 good point to make especially early on in this movie um and it's a it's a pro-drug movie which i really really like and like no bones about it i think that the space that drugs occupy in this movie is really funny and really um poignant for sort of like dealing with pain and stress and anguish, um, especially in, 
in the view of uh, not actually having much to look forward to otherwise. It's a really funny commentary on all of that and a really subversive one in a way that I really liked. Um, and then it does some other things like profoundly worse than I thought it would, right? Where I think, Jason, you alluded to this, but a lot of the places the characters end up are like extremely not where they should end up in ways that really undermine the message of the movie. I'm thinking of specifically the transfer student, very much the uh, the faux lesbian character, Clea Duvall's character, Stokely, um, and even the uh, the football player and Elijah Wood's character, all of these characters end up in places that I don't think they should have ended up. Um, and even the English teacher, right? So like there there is an act three problem here, in my opinion. Um, maybe we can talk about it. I actually, as you were talking, Jason, I kind of liked something you said about how it didn't translate to any actual structural changes. Like that actually works for me, but there are some things here that really don't work for me. Um, first and foremost being that like they literally a breakfast club or breakfast club Stokely, right? Like it, at, in the last scene of this movie, not only is she not a lesbian, she's no longer dressing as a goth and that's supposed to be character growth. Right. Stop right. doing that shit, man. Fucking that's the worst. Um, but almost all of these characters have sort of something like that, which is almost interesting, except that um, I don't think it quite is. But um, so to sort of cap off my final high level thoughts, I think this is a far more interesting movie than I expected it to be. Um, and I had a lot more fun watching it than I thought I would or that sort of like the implication of a of a Rodriguez um, joint from 1998 that's about high school students would lead me to believe. That being said, I'm I'm also that guy, like I'm Persona, uh, X-Files, Buffy. So like all of those are great for me. So your mileage may vary, I guess, but like it's worse in some ways than I thought it would be. And it's much, much better in other ways. And so ultimately it's like, I think it's, it's really worth watching, I guess, because it's, it's very interesting. The end of your uh, point, Harry, like about what your expectations were going in. Um, let's start there. Uh, Eric, what, what did you, where were you at as far as like, what you thought this movie was going to be, what you were building up for it before actually seeing it. Yeah. So I didn't really know anything about it until, um, uh, Harry and I were, uh, were hanging out beforehand and I asked him about it and, um, he, he wasn't as aware either, but from what it sounded like, I was like expecting one of these like really low grade, like B movie, C movie kind of things where it's going to be like, so bad it's good sort of feel to it. But it was, um, I mean, it was surprisingly, you know, as we talked about already, surprisingly sort of self-aware um, of what it was trying to do. And um, I, I guess maybe we can get to it later, but um, I, I think in some ways it almost clung to that a little too hard. What do you mean? Um, so I, I'm thinking of one scene in particular. I mean, uh, obviously it takes a lot of influence from a lot of different, uh, films, right? I mean, we've already mentioned, uh, the thing and alien and, uh, the breakfast club and, you know, the X file, like it takes from so many things. And I, I, so strongly it took from invasion of the body snatchers. I felt like that it was almost too much because in my head I was like, uh, especially through basically like act one, I was like, Oh, this is uh invasion of the body snatchers meets breakfast club. And, um, as it went on, and now I'm thinking of the scene where they um, they get into Zeke's garage. Um, I don't know if you want me to set that up at all or not, but now go for it. Yeah, sure. Okay, so they um, the our our cast of of non uh, alienized people um, have sort of ran from the school. They made their way to Zeke's house and Zeke is uh, bringing them into his shed, which is a a laboratory for his. Um, his uh, his special 
concoction drug, which is uh, primarily scat, I believe he called it, right? Scat, yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That is absolutely it. Um, his scat, which, oh God, I just saying that. Christ. So um, Josh Hartnett drops trow and just shits right on camera, full hole. Everywhere, visible. yeah. It's um boy, it's a different kind of horror, but uh With love from Saint Paul, he screams as he's shitting all over the set. <laughs> that's in the uh that's in the outtakes, uh, if you stay and watch to the end. Um <laughs> But uh but when they're in there, um, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out what to do. They have no idea, like, how to handle the situation. And so, you know, they look to Stokely and they're like, what happens? Because they're using, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers as, like, their Bible. And, like, you know, in in one sense, like, it's cool because they already brought up Body Snatchers, right? And that was this fun thing. But it almost felt like that started to border on a crutch at that point. I think I'm close to your mind about this, where, like, like I thought of that scene when um, when Cody mentioned like a commitment to the genre and Cody chime in if, if this rings true to, to well, I guess anybody at all. Um, but like the, the, that scene and the scene where they're just taking apart like Body Snatchers wasn't even a, an original work. It was, you know, totally ripped off from this other author and this other work. Like it feels sometimes like it's getting a little smart about its subject matter. It never never gets to like between me and the movie or anything, but like when Cody said that, you know, the commitment to the genre was really appreciable and like it helped tie some things together. It made me think of that scene because it's clearly just the thing, right? They're about to down a bunch of this drug to make sure to be able to weed out who is and who isn't um, a, uh, you know, one of the monsters. But I mean, through some late movie uh, retconning, basically they've, uh, they make it so that, you know, that, that scene was, you know, flawed in a way. But anyway, um, I, I was, I guess the question out of that is, do the moments that it undercuts genre convention, i.e. that scene where, um, you know, they're, they're all just giggling as everybody's like being tested. And it's like, you don't really know, like the moment is a little too goofy to take seriously and a little bit too, uh, like the stakes are a little bit too high to see it completely as comedy. And it's riding it right in that middle lane. Do the moments it does that undercut or undo any of its commitment to them? Would you say Cody? that's a good question and like maybe even the question and like the scene that you just uh just like to back up just a half step like yeah that scene you mentioned that is what like that that wasn't pandering to me it wasn't like it was a sort of i guess ham-fisted demonstration but like definitely a demonstration of like these are hey audience this is like sort of where we're pulling from and like this is maybe you know good optional homework for you all you know if you're enjoying this maybe go watch these things i think part of and and like like i i love that ambition i love that energy um there are some things that get muddied for me and and maybe this gets to like answering your question jason but just like i ultimately don't know if this is like meant to be uh you know an homage and like try like trying to capture that same thing there there are times when i feel like it's trying to be um not necessarily like undermining but trying to like riff or spin off or spoof that sort of rather those sort of genre conventions somewhat and i think like a, an excellent example of where those things fail is i think what a few of you um harry in particular what what y'all were talking about of just like these characters not ending up where like genre conventions would maybe postulate these people would end up like i don't know you could maybe if you if you squint and look at it you could maybe i wouldn't make this argument but i could see the argument being made that like uh, there's a, an intentionality to those 
to these characters not ending up in the places you would assume they are or ending up in like sensible places. I'm not convinced that this is like that movie or that's like what it's really going for. Um, I wouldn't necessarily side with that, but there's enough sort of a like ambiguity. There's enough over the top sort of zaniness where you could maybe make that, but like that doesn't necessarily play into like this being a straight up or homage or this being like a, a scary movie esque spoof of that thing. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I guess I would maybe have preferred more of the, the, the former, you know, like the, the campy homage where maybe like characters end up where they should. Maybe you make Cleo Duvall's character queer because that would be less complicated and just like a whole bunch better. Um, but that's maybe just my personal preference. I hope some of that rang true to, to what you were speaking to, Jason. <laughs> Sorry. If yeah, absolutely. Didn't. No, no, no. That, that made a lot of sense. I think you hit it on the head. Uh, I saw Seth's hand up first. One of the one of the things that I sort of thought about as you and Cody were talking about it, this sort of threading the the needle of of horror versus comedy and being over the top versus, you know, these high stakes. I think it's interesting and, you know, please guys, get on my ass if I don't, you know, speak truth to power here because I'm not familiar with like horror genre conventions. I haven't seen uh, invasion of the body snatchers. I have seen some of the movies referenced, but all that to say, uh, you know, in this movie, it really pushes its themes forward. And the big one about, you know, conformity and fitting in and social order, like to me, that is an ever present, um, you know, danger or threat. That's not necessarily a, uh, you know, like it's not a thing that approaches you. It's not palpable. It's all around you. And so it's not really possible, I think, to undermine that or like comedy doesn't get in the way of it because it's always there because you're always in it. Like you are always under the the pressure to conform and be a part of society. And and you know, and one point that I do want to make and you guys have brought it up, but my thoughts about like the third uh, the third act where the characters end up, the movie definitely does not stick the landing. But I do think like there is some awareness there that should be given because at, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Delilah, uh, Jordana Brewster's character says like outright to Stan, like, Oh, you are the captain of the court of the football team. I'm the head cheerleader. Like we're supposed to date. Um, and then by the end, uh, Stokely, uh, who, yes, is, you know, like now she's wearing, you know, bright colored clothing, not really ascribing to her previous characterization that there is some movement there. However sincere it is or how like good it is might not be worth it, worth its salt, you know, to actually put in the movie. But I do think they try and do that where they say, okay, now it's no longer uh, the head cheerleader that's dating the uh, the football captain, or I guess he's on the team, but no longer the captain, because now Zeke is the captain, and he was an outcast, and now he's part of like the biggest institution at the school. And then there's a little bit of the, uh, it's a little, this I do know is like a, a coming of age movie trope. Elijah Wood's character, who is like the sort of nerdy outcast, is now dating uh, Jordana Brewster character, who is supposed to be, you know, like, the hottest girl at school kind of thing. Uh, so there definitely are some stumbles. It does feel a little uh, unearned, but I, I do think there is, you know, some of that there in terms of, you know, character growth and movement. 
Yeah, um, you set that up really well, Seth. Thanks. I, I agree with you. I think that clearly what the end of this movie is trying to do is the Breakfast Club thing, right? Where it's like when you actually get to know one another, uh, class sort of like tiers and hierarchies that are established, cliques in high school, they all disappear. We're actually not so different and we can actually get along, right? That's, that's totally in keeping with what the movie is trying to accomplish. The problem with it, and maybe this is just my perspective and I could be totally off, but it's grafted onto a movie that is not doing that. And it is grafted onto a movie that is actually making a more interesting point in my mind. Like to me, the big final thematic through line of this movie is when Elijah Wood's character is confronting Mary Beth, the alien queen, and she's telling him that she, he can live a life without pain and suffering, right? That's what the aliens are trying to offer people is like, when you, when you join us, when you become part of the collective, then you won't have to be afraid. And he says, I'd rather be afraid. Right. And like, that to me is where the really interesting subversive queer reading of this movie comes in is that like, this is a movie that is not making any bones about the fact that like high school just sucks for some people and always will because they are not of the majority and they are part of subcultures or value systems that are not valued in high school. I mean, like that's where as, as sort of like, um, trite as it is to say now, like that's where it gets better comes from, right? Is that it's like, yes, it turns out that like for a lot of queer kids, especially in this time, like there just aren't that many queer or out queer or people who understand that they're queer people in high school. Therefore, like you are going to have a hard time, but eventually you will find a community with, with values that match your own and you will be able to sort of come into your own in that way. And so like you should hang on to these things that make you who you are because they will eventually be valued. And then I think the movie kind of tries to do that, but it gets all mired with this idea that actually like none of these people have any real differences with one another. Right the community around them. They're just all the same sort of person, which is like, I know I, I made the opposite argument way back when in Valley Girl, uh, but I think Valley Girl carries that off well, whereas this movie is trying to do that like genuinely where it's like, oh, these differences aren't real. Whereas it's like, to me, the, the much more interesting point that the movie actually does a pretty great job of making is that like those differences are real. They are actually like, they stem from material class differences and material value differences that will always separate you from the people that are maybe more popular popular than you. Um, and like there, there is a chance for community, right? Like maybe these people could be friends, right? Like maybe, and maybe that's what they're trying to depict at the end, right? Where Jordana Brewster's character realizes that she doesn't have to be that shallow person because she can actually be herself. And maybe Stokely thinks like, I don't have to use lesbianism as a shield, uh, scare quotes, question mark, question marks, question mark, exclamation point, because that, that all sucks. Um, but all of that is to say, like, I don't think that it, it it sort of tries to have its cake and eat it too, right? Where it's making this great point about anti-authoritarianism and it's making this great point about how there are actual, like, differences between people and you should hang on to who you are as opposed to letting the sort of, like, pressures and fears and traumas of high school break you into the sort of person that we see the faculty become, that we see the aliens become. Like, it does that It does that Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing where it just makes the metaphor... Um, it, it makes the metaphor uh, explicit through its alien in, in, like, a really good way. And then I think that, like, it doesn't really know where to end up with it. And it, like, doesn't quite have the strength of its convictions to, like, either go all the way and be genuinely heartfelt or go all the way and be, like, the Repo Man of alien dramas, right? Which, I guess, Repo Man is the Repo Man of alien dramas. But, um, I would like to have seen it do one of those things, I guess. But maybe, maybe I'm not 
I'm not quite there. Maybe I'm not being um, uh, quite, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, gracious enough to the, to the ending because like Seth, I do agree with you, right? Like I think that they're, they're going for it and the movie gets so much right, particularly in the first two acts with the faculty and with the characters and the arcs that they sort of go on that I would really like to see it end up in a place. But I just think that like, ultimately the, like the way that it leverages lesbianism in order to sort of like demonstrate that, oh, that was just a shield. And actually uh, like Stokely is not so different from all of them. The way that it's like, oh, Zeke was, uh, this sort of like disaffected drug dealer um, who's actually really smart, not because of like his actual um, frustrations with the system, but just because of like his lonerism, I guess. And, and ultimately he ends up on the football team. They're trying to do this sort of like leveling of the playing field where like both sides reach one another. It doesn't really work out that way for me, but I've talked to no. him. Shut up. No, now. yeah. Like I think, I think what you're getting at Harry and like, just to clarify the, like you said, that's not the movie. I think that by the end of the movie, like throughout the movie, it's, it's showing that like these people of different, uh, you know, different sub communities within the school, different like lifestyles and presentations of themselves. Um, what it wants to be able to say is that, like you said, every one of them belongs in the community of high school that like, it's, it's just going to suck for you, but it's like, you have a place in the world and eventually you will find people who will like, uh, be aligned with your, with your viewpoint, with, with who you are and like people like you sort of thing. Like you said, it, the, it, the whole, it gets better thing. Um, but what it does by the end, like if you look at where it was at the beginning and right after the characters are introduced, like end of first act type stuff. And then at the end, it's like, okay, so somewhere along the line, there should have been a moment where Stokely realizes that, or like we are, we are shown that Stokely somewhere internally is like a bright, cheery person with a like, penchant for whatever that she's got by the end of the movie and then but at the very end of the movie we have her dressed like seth said in like bright flowery attire and you know without as much of the goth makeup and it's like we didn't really establish that that wasn't really part of her as so much as it was like a defense against being uh you know perceived in a way that she didn't want to be perceived earlier in the movie uh rather than like yourself who you are belongs in a greater community and will find that greater community they are saying the community is worth being part of the community is worth uh changing right. for you know and i think that's where it doesn't wow. stick the landing for me at the very end is like i do see that these characters have moved they are now you know they were in point a now they're in point c uh but in the case of like delilah she is like very she was very hardline prescribed this is my path in life I will be with the star quarterback. If that's not you, Stan, get out of my way. I will be that. And then by the end, with no clear motivation or like really pivot point, aside from becoming an evil like monster and then not being anymore, then she's just suddenly like she starts to realize that, you know, that I, uh, I, hell, um, Elijah Wood, Casey. he's not. Casey, thank you. The Casey isn't so much of a, you know, pill as he is like, he can be a pretty cool guy that he's brave, that he's a nerd, but he, but like, that's got value. Like, I don't, I didn't see those pieces really lining up. I saw a lot of other stuff lining up. I saw what Harry saw where, you know, they're clearly trying to say these people, these, you know, the places that they come from have value and meaning in themselves. And instead of that, it starts to dilute that by saying, well, but high school is really what you want to belong to. You want to like right. be accepted by the group rather than have the group. Uh, you know, make space for you kind of thing, which just is maybe a little bit dissonant with where I wanted the movie to go. Not unexpected. I guess it feels like a nineties ending to a nineties horror sci-fi movie, but it just didn't like, 
it didn't go there enough for me to be like, oh, well, then maybe there's a group of goths around Stokely at the end. Maybe like she started to make people feel like they can be that if they like want, if they feel that maybe there's, you know, a bunch more uh, Casey's who are, you know, just audio video nerds with their boobs magazines. Maybe like maybe there's just like there are new communities springing up in this high school rather than now everybody's just part of the same homogenous whole. Like, right. Or just like the the irony. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but just like real quick, like the irony is that they could have just done the Breakfast Club ending and it would have been good. Right. Like the Breakfast Club is a movie with a lot of problems, but the ending is very good. Right. This idea that like like inevitability will come and all of these people will return to their cliques, but they have this little connection to one another. Right. And that right, connection right. helps them uh, see the nuance in life and it helps them manifest and express different parts of themselves and grow into more whole people rather than just the cliques that they were a part of. Like you could have just shown all of these people return to their respective places, but then just do sort of like a winking nod to one another or, or demonstrate that they treat one another with respect. Instead, they all fold into each other and it's just like, well, wait, so they did become the aliens, right? Exactly. It, exactly. It yeah. That's, that's what I got. Um, but Eric's hand has been up for such a patient long time. I'm going to let him take the mic. I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm just also kind of complaining about the end, but what really bothers me here, and I think I'm, you know, at this point, just looking at it really cynically. Um, so Kevin Williamson is openly gay. Like he came out to people in 1992, apparently. And to see, you know, Stokely's kind of like we talked about, you know, lesbian being a shield thing. I, I just like, I can't help but wonder if all of this was just like studio execs kind of folding things in to try and like make it appeal like or make it like seem more marketable, quote unquote. I mean, um, yeah, that's very possible. I know that there's a whole section of the Wikipedia about, you know, um, I guess oh, our, uh, you know, I guess, okay, so production company, Harvey Dot Weinstein was one of the producers, boo, sound effects all around. Yeah, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, between when Kevin Williams was going to direct and ended up in Robert Rodriguez's lab, it did go through some rewrites, apparently. Um, and I would not be surprised if that was, like you say, Eric, in the interest of making it less, less standout, less like quirky and more like, maybe in the fold of, you know, sort of an established scream type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, cause it's, I mean, um, it, it already was touched on by uh, you two pretty succinctly. Um, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, they, they all do just conform and it kind of just like, it, it kind of just throws everything that it was building up into the, it, into the garbage. Basically it's like, I mean, sure, you know, they feel more, I, I guess, you know, confident in being themselves, but it's just like, I don't know. I, like I said, I think I'm just also complaining and agreeing at this point, but it just like, it really frustrated me to see uh, specifically the Stokely scene. Um, but also I was just left baffled with um, Casey and Delilah's um, sort of moment as well. Yeah, it's not... You know, the end of the movie doesn't, I think, pick up where that where the rest of the movie was was really heading. But um, let's let's get up out of that. Uh, well, I guess I just saw Cody's hand up. Uh, yeah, I, I may have a slight pivot out of this. And it's I don't want to say it's coming from the perspective of like armchair director or something like that. But we uh, everybody here is cat uh, characterized pretty well. The 
the sort of need to have a certain conclusion for this movie and like it i don't for all the directions it seemed to be wanting to go it in some way felt it needed to end on the notes that it did and i wanted to uh, uh, shout out or or highlight a sequence of the movie that i think in retrospect i like the same type of sequence happened in the thing and i felt myself gravitating toward it in a similar way but it was it was a scene um towards like the smack dab in the middle of the movie or, or or so where um zeke and mary beth are investigating right they're on school grounds and by this point a lot of students had been called to the office already and there's this sort of um mysterious air of like all right we like we want to figure this out we think the school is being invaded by aliens and it was the the sequence where um zeke and mary beth are on the grounds and they get approached by danny masterson and that other guy who um are people who get drugs from zeke and so he gives them some scat um uh, i think that feels great to say um but like he he gives them scat and they they press him for more and shortly thereafter um famke jansen uh her like teacher character formerly she was um (laughs) quoted as like the world's biggest introvert and now she's dressed differently and her uh, she's not she's not wearing glasses she's hot now um but like she's making making this big scene in front of in front of zeke just like calling him out and trying to poke holes in his interiority and it was around this time when i asked like wow okay like the movie is occupying this space where i'm asking myself who's been uh turned like who's been infected who's stoned who's on this you know scat uh who's he what's it and who's just been like pushed over the edge because like any of these people could be any of those things they may or may not be affected by anything like uh special you know that the movie is kind of offering forth and like that honestly that's sort of like meditation that's sort of like hey we've got all these different characters we can like look around at and kind of guess um kind of like we like again that bit in the thing where we're just uh, essentially walking around the grounds uh seeing these different people and asking ourselves like are are they the thing or are they just like victims of their own isolation and like xenophobia and like that i guess the armchair director portion comes in where it's like you know if if we weren't in such a rush to like get to the conclusion of this 104 minutes and maybe just like sit with these character dynamics because there are a lot of different like permutations for the main like six or seven people in this movie like a lot of them could engage with each other i have my thing where i (laughs) go into a movie like this thinking like huh are these two gonna fall in love and like honest like those could have gone in so many different directions based on so many different choices that were and weren't made and i like that's that's kind of where i felt myself uh trending i guess people here may or may not feel the same way but it's i don't know sometimes i like thinking about what would have happened if this movie had explored that a little bit more instead of thinking i don't know thinking instead more of like okay we want to reach this certain finish line and pair and pair these people up you know um that's that's less interesting to me i think yeah i'm really glad you brought that up specifically because of that english teacher um the the character elizabeth birth uh burke played by um fam jans kim jansen wow i really butchered that excuse me i was like looking at it beforehand and that's why um I really like, I really had her pegged for the alien queen, huh? Like, I really thought that this, this is where the movie was going and this is what they set up. And I think that it made a lot of more thematic sense that way. And maybe I'm just playing armchair director at this point, but like, she was like the most repressed character, right? Like she, she was the character who clearly had like 
and I, I'm sorry to get kind of creepy about it, but like she had some like some feelings for Zeke, right? Um, and meanwhile, Zeke just treats her totally like garbage. Like he he makes fun of her. He thinks he's smarter than her. He he's um, uh, sort of abusing her and and her obvious sort of like. Um, like sadness inside of her. And I really thought that the whole thing was going to be sort of like, Oh, like that, that Avenue is how the alien queen infected this world. And it's like, it would reflect the repression that is happening to all of the faculty members. Right. Because like they, the first scene of this movie, they all say like, Oh, I've always wanted to do that. And like, the idea is that the alien doesn't like change their personality. It just like heightens it. Right. Like they, they all experience like these sexual awakenings. Um, they become much less inhibited. Uh, and it's sort of like this suggestion that like, oh, when you conform, you can finally be this version of the person you've always wanted to be. And like repressing that version of who you wanted to be is how the aliens win. Right. But then that's not at all actually the case. Right. Like it, it turns out that um, uh, that character is just a side plot character for Zeke. And the real alien queen is the out of town student, which is like xenophobic man like that sucks like that that was a terrible plot twist to throw into this movie in my opinion especially when they had a better conclusion written out in my mind but again i'm playing armchair director so i guess um i don't mean to hijack the conversation right i want to hear what seth and eric have to say but like i'm also interested in like did that work better for you than it worked for me because like i was really annoyed by that ending and particularly where the ending puts Zeke and uh, Elizabeth Burke, the English teacher, where she waves at him and it seems like they have this sort of relationship or something. That's creepy. That like skeeved me out. I wanted them to end up in a place where it was like, oh, we were treating each other very poorly because of our own shit. And like that sort of like non-traditional love story is what would win out. But um, instead they went with this much more conventional thing and they sort of sidelined that plot weirdly because it, I don't know, they, they sort of like, at the end of the movie, they made it like Elijah Wood's character was the main character. When in my opinion, for the rest of the movie, Zeke had been the main character. So again, it's just maybe the rewrite thing explains this, right? But it just feels like they were juggling different priorities at different times. And like, maybe that's why the first act of this movie feels like a different movie than the last act of this movie. And I don't know, but um, I'm interested in sort of those contradictions. As Zeke says, I'm a contradiction. And they make the movie really interesting, if not... um, particularly uh really effective in my mind i'm uh so i'll i'll say the part that i really don't have strong feelings about first uh i didn't really feel entirely uh skeeved or i don't i don't know know what the right word is uh like i was not tipped off by the xenophobia angle um too much but what you did bring up that i do think is really sort of interesting is how like romance and sexuality is played in this movie because one of the things that i saw was that among the main characters i i might be forgetting something but it feels like all of the romances or there's a lot of romantic connections that are considered like taboo uh, and there's this like repression of sexuality, like you said, the English teacher, uh, like you said, but like her herself, and then between her and Zeke, and then between uh, Casey and Delilah, and then between uh, Stokely and and Stan, and there's all of these different little things. And then the other part of it is this is like one thing that I originally wanted to call out um, as like a oh I noticed that you think I didn't notice it but I did is like after the students started getting changed 
in the background of all of the hallway scenes, everybody is just making out. Like, I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but everybody is making out with each other. Um, Really, really good point. Yeah. And the one thing I thought, I thought it was um, the, the older actress who's with the blonde hair. I forget her name. Piper Laurie. Piper Laurie. Yes. Thank you. I thought that she was the alien queen uh-huh. because like you don't see who approaches Robert Patrick in the field. And in the beginning of the movie, uh, the sequence where the um, uh, principal escapes and then there's like this twist. Ha Piper Laurie's like, I've always wanted to do that. I was like, Oh, you know, Robert Patrick is just, is just the lackey. He's the heavy. And, and the most assuming character is actually the alien queen. So I guess the twist of it being Mary Beth still was a twist to me. Um, but I thought it was going a completely different way from uh, Famke Jansen's character or uh, the principal or Robert Patrick. So yeah, uh, Eric, what are your thoughts? What I, I guess uh, I, I was kind of in the same camp as Harry where the, uh, the whole uh, transfer student being the, the queen angle just kind of sucked and where that, specifically sucked for me um was not even so much um not even so much the xenophobia angle though that did obviously suck but was just like how fucking shoot like retcon we talked about the retcon scene briefly um but my god when that came up i was like honestly a little incensed i was like no that did not happen like it just felt like a really weird direction to me I, I think that's pretty fair. And I guess my my two cents, like I'm I'm also not necessarily I wasn't affected by that pivot. Um, and I, looking at it now, it's like on one hand, that is like itself. I don't know if it's necessarily a trope, but that is like emblematic of horror like the the sort of outsider who we maybe see or rather they're kind of framed as like our our means of getting into this world and sort of like you know oh we're seeing this world through the eyes of this character and like we're learning things as they're learning things and then they turn out to be you know the antagonist or how whatever you want to call it that being said like that's not necessarily a good thing um be like uh, like it's so somewhat foundational that like a, a lot of um like classic horror tropes and structures come from uh, a certain xenophobia um yeah. based on whatever is happening in the world at that time and like those tropes sort of like came from that right like we are fearful of uh of outsiders because of like various war times you know things so like to me I, I don't know and i'm not an expert on any of this this is just like based on like watching and like reading what I can, but like, that's, that's what's sort of calling to me at this point is like, well, that is like, that, that is very, um, like it's sort of a staple of this genre, whether or not that's a good thing and whether or not that is used for good is, you know, like it's like, and I have seen that used like successfully, um, in titles that I, I won't name just because we get into like spoiler territory, but like, it's possible to use that for good in like a kind of like i don't know a contemporary work where it kind of fits with the times a little bit better um i i'm i think i i can get talked into and it's happening right now of just that like i didn't think much of it in the theater i was like oh yeah that's like that's what horror does but that's i don't that's not necessarily for the best right 
Well, and, and there a sort of a fully deconstructive reading emerges from that, right? Because from a distance, this movie becomes, so an outsider brings evil to the school and the outsiders within this school combat and finally defeat that evil by taking ownership of the community that they're a part of, realizing that they're a part of it and then rejoining it. Right. So like there is, there is like it from a distance, you can totally uh, construct this sort of like fundamentally conservative um, method out of this movie where it's like, Oh, it's, it's not about outsiders realizing that, that they're essentially queer um, sexuality is not, is not evil, is not disgusting the way Seth was alluding to. It's, it's actually that, um, these insiders are not really outsiders uh, and they can team up to defeat the real outsider. And it's like, Oh, that sucks. Um, Especially because like the sexuality angle is so interesting, right? Because like, especially the fact that they allude to uh, queerness is that uh, like Seth alluded to, there are relationships, there is sexuality in this. However, it's only um, sexuality that is sort of like societally stamped with approval, right? Like these characters, they're largely a part of the communities and the tiers that they're a part of because that allows them to experience and manifest sexuality in socially acceptable ways, right? Like Jordana Brewster, the the head cheerleader needs to be with the um, head football player. And like, she takes his wanting to quit the football team as essentially breaking up with her, right? Or she breaks up with him because it's like, that's what this is, right? Like, this is what allows us to do these things. Whereas the characters on the margins are the characters largely who, and the, the movie doesn't do as good a job at, at communicating this as it could because it of politics and because, you know, it's not actually doing this. But um, like you could see Stokely, right? Like she might consider her own sexuality um, alien uh, or like, uh, Elijah Wood has this impossible crush on uh, Jordana Brewster's character. That that's very very alienating. Like even Zeke is like he maybe has a thing with this English teacher, and, and that's creepy. And right, and like that's um, alienating. Or there's no gay character in this movie, right? Which which really undermines this reading. But like you can see where I'm going, and like that's that's what I I guess I wanted. Like and and there are readings here, right? Like even the Wikipedia mentions a lot about the way sexuality is handled in this movie. Like Mary Beth is supposed to be this conservative student uh, from a small southern town, but then when she becomes the alien queen, she's naked and she's much more sexually liberated, right? And so like there is that there, but ultimately it doesn't really want to do anything with that sexuality except to sort of like point at it and then sort of like leave it alone i think maybe i'm missing something but i didn't i don't think that they could square that circle and that's frustrating because like i think that there is a really interesting queer reading to be picked up from that sure Uh, i think another thing that i would like to touch on is the power dynamics displayed throughout the uh movie of course like it is about or ostensibly about these you know uh marginalized outsider you know stray type kids uh finding you know their their purpose and their way and you know where where they belong at the school that sort of thing but the power dynamics at play obviously stem from the principal who is sort of controlling the budget to the faculty who are you know ultimately powerlessly disgruntled with the you know distribution of funds and allocation entirely toward the football team how do we feel about like the fact that the faculty are i, I guess there was there's an expectation for me, I guess, just to lay it on the table, that the faculty were going to be the only ones like 
susceptible to the virus, to the, to the parasite for some reason, that it would end up being a students versus teachers kind of thing. And I thought that would be maybe a little bit more rote, but maybe a little bit cleaner uh, in trying to make maybe some of the points it ostensibly like looks to be making. Um, and then I think that just when it bites off more than it can chew by having multiple, like anybody can be, uh, you know, even kids can be, it's an interesting implication, I think for, you know, the, the terms of the story and some of the, you know, thematic elements it's trying to bring together, but that it might have made things a little bit more muddied and complicated than it was really ready to tie off in 90 minutes. How did we feel about like that, the power being given to, um, excuse me, the, the, the like power dynamics being completely upended and usurped by the parasite rather than reinforced as, you know, a thematic through line. Um, Eric, I saw your hand first. Did you have any thoughts about that? What I, uh, kind of to what Jason was saying, like, now that we're kind of talking about it more, I honestly coming into this when that started happening, I was expecting it to just affect the faculty. And I think that would have been better overall, because then it would like really sort of um, put this dividing line of like, oh, there's, you know, the faculty who, um, you know, they're part of this system that wants you to conform. And then there's, you know, the teenagers who are already like maybe feeling some angst and are really going for the nonconformity angle. And I feel like, you know, making it a thing angle where it just could be anybody kind of uh, makes it miss something really interesting there. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you think it's because, and this is an open question, do you think it's because it wants to imply that like the responsibility for the, you know, direction of the school and for the activities within it are things that are like incumbent upon everybody, not just faculty. Is that what, is that something like the point that it's trying to make? Do you think? Um, yeah, that's, um, Every, anybody I, can jump in. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it's a good question. I think, I think it seems more nuanced than the film was trying to get overall. Um, you know, maybe that's bashing it a little bit and I'm not necessarily trying to, but like, um, especially with all of these sort of like, um, you know, the referential and tongue in cheek humor that happens, like it, it doesn't feel like it's going for anything particularly deep. And I, I guess that's where the problem comes in. Um, but Harry, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, that that's fair. I think I'm, I don't disagree with you, Jason, particularly because as I already noted, I, I don't like the twist at the heart of this movie. Um, I also think that they should have, uh, foregrounded the faculty more. I don't, think that it could have or should have ended up being totally faculty versus um, teenagers because I think that the the real metaphor at the heart of the alien or when the metaphor is most successful is in this sort of conflation of conformity with maturity. It's the suggestion that coming of age and becoming mature means conforming. It means becoming a part of this society, right? Which is why we see the faculty are so broken that they've given up, right? Like they're, they're advocating for their own interests, but uh, they don't have the budget. And so they're just, they're self-medicating and they're in despair. Right. And that makes them perfect because they've repressed these parts of themselves or they can't access that part of themselves. I really like the idea that ultimately there's this sort of terrible inevitability to the, to the alien suggestion that like you will be so much less angst filled and in pain when you just conform and it's going to happen anyway. Like, look, it's happening to everyone. It's happening all around you. So just give in already and you can be who you actually want to be. You can be with this person you want to be with and you won't have to worry about all of this pain and suffering that you're feeling. Right. Um, and then the characters in the, like 
in the in the Stephen King version of this, right? Like that, it becomes much more explicitly about resisting that, right? And these these outcasts become much more explicitly like, no, like we don't want to discard this sort of like childishness at the heart of who we are, that our individuality. Um, and it, instead, like it it really does upend all of that, right? Because it it like it suggests instead that like there there's this compromise, and that um, actually like. You, there is some sort of uh, sense in which you have to admit that that you're affecting these these differences or something like that, right? And so it it kind of doesn't work out uh, the way that I think that it it probably should. But maybe I'm missing something again. I I don't know about that. I think that's a pretty like clean encompassing reading of. I think that really actually does capture a lot of what we were talking about before about um you know the the where these characters start where they you know how they're um, twisted how they're like put through the ringer and where they end up in the end uh if that is the end of that plot thread i think i will toss it open to anybody with any final thoughts this is where you can just let go anything you found funny interesting cool um just let your spare thoughts dangle uh well all i really wanted to do was just say like I don't want to necessarily diminish the movie as much because like it, we all had fun watching it. Like um, it it, it was a lot of fun to watch, especially because the movie kind of knew what it was doing with itself. Um, But you know, like with any media piece, you do have to, you know, recognize where things go wrong or if there's faults in certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, quite a good time at the theater. I had a ton of fun seeing this with y'all. Um, the one, I guess, uh, shout out I, I wanted to give is something that I stumbled upon right now doing a little bit of like letterboxed um, uh, digging in the background. Uh, cinematic parallel or, or tie into our previous episode, which was Say Anything, um, B.B. Newworth, who uh, was Principal Drake in The Faculty, uh, was actually in Say Anything as Mrs. Evans, who I believe for that one scene was the like guidance counselor who showed up to that <laughs> party. Um, if feel free to correct me if that's wrong. So I guess another instance of like <laughs> cool hip, like uh, like I don't know, school faculty member being like uncomfortably close to um to to handsome high school kids. Uh, in this case, John Cusack. But in any case, BB Newworth, um, two weeks in a row, good stuff. Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to bring it around to what Eric was saying, which is that like I actually I did enjoy this movie quite a bit, and it would be dishonest of me to say otherwise, right? In particular, one thing that I think it does resoundingly right is the drugs. It's so funny, right? But like this idea that that marijuana, which like let's face it, is is actually what they're sort of like making a metaphor out of in that like how simple and easy and like not damaging i mean like it looks more like coke right and it acts more like coke but like they get the giggles afterwards and there don't seem to be any like really like dire effects and so i'm just with the whole high school thing like it's very dazed and confused it it reminded me a lot of weed and like i just really like the idea that like like symbolically like these outcasts who are using weed and and are outcasts because of like in part their drug use like they're not actually wrong and like that it's it's okay and like that could be an actual like good thing right like i just really i dig that because like i dig the idea that like this first of all like 
there, there are real differences between the people who are using these drugs or making these drugs and the people who don't, right? And it's not just that, oh, they could be, they could conform if they just weren't drug addicts, right? Um, which is sort of like a typical high school thing. Uh, and I really like the idea that like, it's just a funny, good metaphor for like outcastism, right? Like this idea that like now that these drugs that, that we, that were isolating us and alienating us are the thing that are, it's sort of our salvation from, uh, it's, you know, it's like, you can see like a, a worse version of this movie where it's like literally they're all stoners and it's just about like using your, your stoner powers to defeat the aliens. And there's something kind of charming about that, I think, um, silly as it sounds. That is actually something I wanted to circle back to, um, which I thought was interesting as somebody who, you know, actually like. I have a prescription for medical marijuana and I use it and it helps like a lot with a lot of the ailments that I uh, struggle with. And it's like, um, I don't know, just seeing that sort of really strong message was kind of interesting, especially when um, I don't know, did, and maybe this is too open a question to get to in final thoughts, but like, I, I wonder if anyone else kind of felt like the, um, the, the sort of drug, like the really, really strong pro drug drug theme that Harry was really talking about, um, kind of doesn't really get, um, any sort of satisfying resolution at the end. Uh, I mean, I just, I guess I just think, I think it's cool that uncool people literally dissolve and die when they do drugs. <laughs> uh, I think that's the coolest message that this movie could really have portrayed. Um, I mean, it is, I don't know how, um, you know, you got to imagine that, that the movie's version of events is that uh, Zeke stopped, you know, yeah. selling drugs after, after the events of this movie sort of thing, which is lame as hell. I mean, right. But to, I, but to play Seth's advocate here, he is smoking at, in his football helmet. So like, there's still, which is, pre- which is pretty cool. It's kind of a wash personally, but like, he's also, yeah, like the, the whole pro drug thing has, is washed by the end. Uh, I, I guess if that's what you mean, Eric. Yeah. I, I think I do that. Like that, that it didn't come to a super very like, um, I guess where I wanted the whole drug thing, I wanted like then the kids to come back and, you know, one another hit of it or whatever, you know, just because like that he's still like, he could still maintain some element of his sort of counterculture persona, his whole thing. But now presumably he's doing well in school. Now, presumably he's doing well in football. Now, presumably he's X, Y, Z. But when he was a huge driver of the plot through the drugs thing, and just because like some monsters almost killed him. Now he's like all of a sudden, um, you know, straight edge or whatever for the most part. I don't know. It it didn't come to a super con- uh, satisfying conclusion for me. Now, yeah, no, I think uh, I think what you said was like a very good summation of what I thought and where things you know ultimately stood. Well, especially the idea that like, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but like there is some suggestion that like the the whole drug use it, it's sort of symbolic of like actual material differences between people, right? Like there's this, like I said before, there's this suggestion that like oh if they just didn't use drugs, if they just applied themselves, they would be like everybody else and that would be fine. And it's like, no, you're getting it the other way around, right? Like the reason these people are using drugs is because they're different from uh, everybody else. And that's painful to them because they're being marginalized as a result. And so they're self-medicating with these drugs, right? And the drugs are actually a nice way for them to like find community or um, like escape that pain, right? And there, there's something like really genuine about that in a way that I like. Right. And in like, you can argue all you want about like the way you want drugs portrayed in movies or whatever, but I, that was sort of refreshing to me 
right? Is that it wasn't stig- uh, stigmatized and it was in fact sort of like this, this cool symbolic idea that like, like, oh, th- this is the outsider's weapon. Like, this is the outsider's tool that they're using to get through high school. And like, look, you're going to you're gonna make it, right? <laughs> um, and you won't have to give anything up. So y- I agree with you, Eric. It sort of folds into that same criticism we have where it's like there, there wasn't a satisfying conclusion to the idea that these outsiders were going to um, sort of like self-actualize not by losing themselves, but by sort of... Um, like really self-determining and deciding that they're going to be who they're going to be. Uh, and similarly, it was sort of like the drugs just sort of disappear uh, when they're all used up. And there, there's no sort of like conclusion to that plot line, except that um, Zeke has a relationship with the, with the English teacher now, which as Jason noted, sort of implies that he, he no longer makes the drug. Could be, could be. Uh I think that is where we'll taper off final thoughts, unless Seth or Cody, you had anything to contribute. Uh, I just uh, want to shout out. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, I just want to shout out uh, John Stewart's character. Uh, very oh, funny. Uh, yeah, every every scene he's in, uh, just lovably goofy, and his like little sting at the end, where he's got an eye patch and somehow survived. Uh, I guess through the power of comedy and being John Stewart. Uh, that was, that was a really nice, you know, laugh at the end of the movie. That was, it, it landed just at the right time. Um, also goatee wearing Christopher McDonald as, uh, Elijah Wood's dad. So good. So funny, like amazing stunt casting that he just yes. like, what a tight ass. Like, it's so good. Like that was maybe low key, my favorite, uh, casting in the entire movie other than Robert Patrick. Yeah. Great that was, take. I, I thought that was really impressive. And like, especially because of the way he was acting. Like I thought there was going to be conflict like yeah. in the house. Like he was already infected with some shit and it's like, nah, he's just like that much of a hard ass. Just like everybody's uncle. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes uh, our pre segment. Um, really the show is about the next segment of our show. Um, but, uh, but you've heard part one of our episode about uh, the faculty and part two is uh, going to be ushered in by me and Harry here. Uh, would you like you everybody else to join us this time as well? Jason? Oh yeah. That's something that we said we yeah. wanted to do. Uh, Co- excuse me, Seth and Eric, are you guys ready to join us in ushering Cody's notice? Do you know, do you know the tune? Yes. Um, I, I'm a little rusty. So uh, lead me into it. Okay. I will give you, well, Harry's going to yeah. get us the count in. Uh, it goes a little bit something like this. First, you take a deep breath as like so. <gasps> and then you say, it's time for Cody's Cody's Sister, sister. Oh, okay. Um, thank you, uh, everybody. Uh, everybody here, thank you so much for that uh, that educational introduction. Um, yeah, uh, pulling back the curtain just a little bit, today is the 4th of July. And on Ooh. days like this, uh, you know, I like... Hey, uh, hey uh, you're not wrong. I like to, you know, I, I like to take a moment on days like this, uh, reflect on what I have, reflect on where I am and when I am. Uh, it's an important day in our dumb little country, sure. But there's a worthy, different celebration, I'll say, to be had in these, the United States. That's, uh, that's Whoa. what we got. And, uh, and to celebrate... Oh, I said, am I a patriot now? I, this seems like the country I could get behind. 
Uh, difficult question to unpack. Um, maybe an answer will um, will come about over the next ten to fifteen minutes. Uh, but to I'm celebrate, still, I'm still wondering yeah. how I'm supposed to spell this. But I'll figure that out. Um, you, you hit I it s- up. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. I, I phonetically sounded it out in my little Word document, and it does not look great for show notes. Um, but we'll work it out. Uh, in any case, to celebrate that magnificent wordplay, uh, we're going to play a little game uh, as we are wont to do. What I've done is I've looked up some notable films that were previously released in theaters during the week or weekend of the 4th of July. Uh, My evergreen disclaimer for these types of games is that I've done my best to handpick movies that we're all at least generally familiar with. Um, So what I'll do is I will describe each film one at a time as I'm sort of doing my recitations. Uh, If you think you know the film being described, go ahead and raise your little Zencaster hand. Once I see a hand raised, I will stop reading. I'll call on you. And if you're correct, you'll get a point. And if you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person will only get one guess per round. There are, oh, how many? There are 10 rounds this time. We've got 10 of them today uh, because of the the greater numbers here. So use that one guess per round wisely. This is a fastest hand sort of game where time is of the essence. Um, So you probably don't have a lot of time to look things up, uh, but I'll remind you all anyway that Trivia Mafia rules apply here. So please do use only your noodles and stay away from your Googles. Um, so what we'll do, we're, we're actually, we're going to start on a, a bit of a low note here for number one. This was a, uh, a film released in 2010. It is an adaptation of a beloved series by a famous American filmmaker. Um, I, honestly, I, I'd give you more information, but, uh, unfortunately I'm not, uh, I'm not that much of a rule bender. Uh, I see Jason's hand. Jason, do you have a guess for this? Is this The Last Airbender? It is The <laughs> Last Airbender. The God Last Airbender, 2010. Um, God damn it. Why yeah, movie of um, all movies come on the 4th of July? That's hilarious. Uh, I mean, so, uh, from and I'm trying to be more of like a, a box office person, like have, have more of an ear in sort of that like area of study question mark um but uh what i my understanding is that and and you'll kind of see it here as well there are a lot of blockbusters there are a lot of movies where we're sort of telegraphing like this movie is probably going to make bank and that is sort of a bankable time of the summer um and i with the last airbender they're going to need as much help as they could get basically sorry Harry. i I was just going to say i suppose also like appropriating east asian aesthetics uh through western art is like a like a time-honored western traditions that oh it does it does not get more american than that brother um <laughs> stay tuned for the rest of this game maybe uh but in any case uh for number 2 uh, next up here we've got a film from 2006 that i guess is technically a sequel i didn't do much digging um but it's a, a superhero film that sort of got mixed reception at the time uh it's not talked about all that often nowadays for a few reasons but in part because this dc hero has been in a lot of other recent adaptations, uh, including a cut that went for over four hours. Shoutouts. Um, uh, I see Harry's hand followed by Jason's hand. I'm, I'm going to give the mic first to Harry. Harry, do you have a guess for this Superman movie? Is this Superman Returns? It is Superman Returns. Uh, the only other piece uh, of context I was going to offer is that the film's director and the actor who portrayed the lead villain are both gigantic, yeah, tremendous, humongous pieces of actual yeah. shit. <laughs> Uh, and it's also two and a half hours, so it's bad by default in general. Um, that is mostly a joke. 
Um, mostly a joke. Shout out to the Rashomon rule. Um, So like, it does that. Oh God. Yeah. That's like a rough intersection of rules. Cause any movie with Parker Posey in it is, uh, amazing. Um, shout outs to Parker Posey. Uh, Brilliant. We've got we've got a couple of folks on the board here. We've got eight more to run through. Uh, for number three, we're talking about a sports movie from 2002. Uh, I said sports into the mic, maybe a little too loudly. Sorry, Jason. Uh, a crapload of real life professional athletes cameoed in this film. Uh, it probably wasn't that great of a of a movie, but basketball movies are hard for me to not love. Um, there's a magical pair of sneakers involved. Anyone know what this film is, Seth? This is like Mike. Make me like Mike. <laughs> like baby. Mike. If I could be like Mike. <laughs> oh, uh, if I could be like Seth, uh, who just got a point here. What was, was that? that? Little Romeo or Little Bow Wow? Little Bow Wow. Uh, Bow Wow. Yep. Little Bow Wow. And, and John was Nicky. John that, was from my, Nicky. that was my friend. That was my friend Seth. Harry. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I, he's I, on our yeah, episode today. That is what I was asking. Thank you uh, for specifying. That was amazing. Uh, if if I remember correctly, and this blew my mind, I'm pretty sure like the orphanage bully was an early Jesse Plemons. That is correct. Uh, oh, I need to watch this. Movie. Yeah. Uh, everybody should watch Like Mike for the record. Um, brilliant. Well, we've got uh, this this fourth film coming up here, and this uh, you know it's not uh, it's not one of Spielberg's greatest or most well remembered films. Uh, but I remember really liking it. This was a 2005 release. Uh, this movie was part of, uh, Dakota Fanning's breakthrough into, to kind of the, the big stage. Seth, uh, do you know what this is? He does, but he's just remaining silent about it. Apparently. Oh, 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 so I'm sorry. Is this war of the world's? It is indeed War of the Worlds. Uh, it also marked an intriguing part of Tom Cruise's career when he was kind of like, I don't know, waiting for Mission Impossibles to to happen more frequently. I don't know. I'd have to, in any case. Um, yes, it is indeed War of the Worlds. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to rewatch that. Uh, do people here like War of the Worlds? What, what's the, the temperature I, of the room I, on this? I saw it at the drive-in theater when I was a kid, but I don't remember but shit about I was uh, I was supposed mm-hmm. to go on a date to that movie and then I chickened out and I didn't go. No. Wow. Damn. Because of the date or because of the movie? Uh, combination of both. <laughs> I was a very scared kid, it turns out. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked it. Uh, like everybody, uh, I think about the, the noise that the, the tripods make. Just that horrific sound. Oh, yeah. Hans Zimmer, um, eat your heart out. Yeah. I, I haven't actually seen the film, um, so hey, that's where I'm fair. at. Hey, cool. Uh, might be worth might be worth watching. Honestly, um, I, th- I like a lot of striking. This is before Steven Spielberg was like, "Hey, longtime cinematographers of mine, I don't actually need you to do anything because I'm going to make Ready Player One and just not." do anything with cinematography ever there's like some striking camera work in war of the worlds that i still think about from time to time um so there's i don't know stuff that you can take with you uh including a 2005 era tom cruise sure uh number five here uh so war of the worlds was 2005 this next film came out uh just a year after that and actually three years after this film that we're trying to figure out at three years after this came out two of the film stars would go on to reunite in julie and julia uh which is maybe more convoluted of a, of a clue than i needed to give um but uh this movie that we're, we're trying to pick out here 2006 it had uh, emily blunt before she really took off um and it also had uh anne hathaway that's harry do you know what this is 
the devil wears Prada. Um, yeah, Anne Hathaway, sort of near the peak of her powers. Um, but yeah, the devil wears Prada, 2006. We'd see uh, Meryl and the Tooch and Julian Julia in them. Shout outs to the Tooch. Um, you make good cocktails um, if your internet videos are to be believed. Um, we've got a uh, so quick score rundown. We're halfway through. We've got uh, Harry and Seth co-leading with two. We've got uh, Jason and Eric um, bringing us back uh, we, with one and, and no points, uh, respectively. That being said, we've got five more films on the docket here. There's plenty anybody's of time. Game. This is still anybody's game. Yeah, hey, um, we're going fishing for points here, and uh, expect the bites in in this number six, uh, in which we're dealing with a 2007 film that helped launch a big old film franchise. Uh, there may not be more to it than that, though. You could argue it's more than meets the eye. Uh, Seth, this uh, is uh, Transformers. This is indeed Transformers. Robots in disguise, baby. Uh, I, I would have also um, gone on to say perhaps I'm just toying with you. And if nobody got it, I would have just said Megan Fox um, and then asked you what film it was. But yeah, 2007. You didn't, you um, didn't think to say John Turturro at any point in there? Uh, he's no, I mean... I think he's only... No, he, he oh, was... was he? I, honestly... It's hard to remember John Turturro was in the first one only because he shows up like 45 minutes into like a two hour, 40 minute movie that is Transformers. He begs Elijah Wood's character not to kill him and Elijah Wood complies and then he, wait, I meant Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. I was it's over, it's fine, we're moving on. I mean, probably best that we don't say his name uh, anyway, so I do not fault you for that. Um... Perfect. Well, yeah, Seth, uh, taking a, a commanding lead here uh, with three with that that Transformers point here. Uh, number seven, uh, get ready, folks. Many of the Spider-Man film adaptations have been released around the 4th of July. None of them have been as good as this one. What film is this? I saw Jason uh, and then Harry. I'm thinking it's Spider-Man 2. I am thinking it is Spider-Man 2 from the year of our Lord, 2004. Um, Alfred Molina. Um, <laughs> on, what what more is there to say, Doctor Otto? Yeah, tear on, down Otto. statues of George Washington and just put up Alfred like Molina. plaques featuring I mean, Alfred yeah. Molina's face. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hey, we'll we'll start a I don't know some kind of petition for that. Uh, you'll find it in our show notes. Uh, <laughs> maybe prob- uh, yes. maybe maybe not. Um, not to put more work on Jason. Uh, we got three more here. Three three more filmies uh, for number eight. Uh, the director of this film, this is actually the director's second appearance in this game. Uh, this film is somehow in the Criterion collection. Uh, this film is two and a half hours long. Um, that's kind of the norm for these 4th of July films, I guess. Uh, this film is out of this world. Hehe. <laughs> um, we're drilling in space. What film is this? Harry and then Armageddon. Seth. Thank you. Thank you for that last It is. Yeah, it is Armageddon. Um, I couldn't find a great way to telegraph what this film is. Uh, it's like weirdly hard to to describe, and it's also like I don't, like ninety eight is like just old enough where it's kind of out of my consciousness. But um, when you're thinking yeah. of the notes, you don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> <laughs> very, very well done. I'll go now. Um, <laughs> no, Stephen Tyler, stick around, please. Um, 
oh god uh i don't even want to talk about it um i just thought of so many different bit like unfortunate scenes from that movie uh that being said great hangover watch uh for those who are into that sort of thing we've got two more films on the docket here for number nine uh i'll say for many people this is it seems to be on a sort of god tier of of film it came out 36 years ago and is still very fondly remembered it uh it features what has become a very iconic car um y'all night uh y'all might not be eric i see eric i will pause i see eric and then jason eric you get uh, you get the lead here uh with this guess would this be Back to the Future? It would be Back to the Future. Um, yes. Way to, way to sneak your hand in there. I know Jason was hot on your heels. Um, with with the, the wrong gra- answer, though. I was, I was going to guess Evil Dead. Oh, you're fascinating. You're a famous that, car in wow. Evil Dead? Yeah, the Oldsmobile. Uh, Sam Raimi's car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It appears in every Sam Raimi movie. It's a famous car. It's a famous car. It's a famous car. It's a famous car. I think the difference here is um, it, it made the DeLorean famous, but if anybody actually knows much about cars, you would know the DeLorean is a horrendously shitty car. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always said this. I've always said this. It's, it's the sad irony uh, of that movie, and that's like a, a fact of that movie that I love maybe most of all. Um, yeah, if, if Eric, if you weren't going to get it, I, I was going to go on to say it features what has become a very iconic car. Y'all might not be ready for it quite yet, but your kids are oh, going to love it. I love it when um, Cody which, uses that line. <laughs> I, I used it uh when we were together uh in person the other day and i was like well if i say this some somebody's gonna get it um but yes back to the future we've got everybody on the board now which to me makes this uh, a successful game regardless of whatever happens here in the final act uh number 10 welcome to earth seth then harry independence day <laughs> independence freaking day you know it this time um, i gotta give it up to seth you really brought it this game Congratulations. Thank you. He, he did. Uh, honest. And what a, what a rundown here. Um, we've got uh, a, a lot of numbers represented here. We've got uh, Seth uh, bringing, bringing the trophy home with four points, Harry with three, Jason with two, Eric with one. Um, shout outs uh, to, um, to all of y'all for participating. Thanks for playing. And God bless the United States of America. Am I right? I don't know about you, but I'm saluting God from a seating position. God bless America code. Uh, this has been our episode about the faculty 1998. No longer playing at the Trilon because we're finally on a normal schedule with the Trilon's publishing and releasing schedule. Uh, but you can find it. I don't know. Stream it, pirate it, do something. If you didn't catch it at the Trilon, um, you know, just keep it on the calendar. A lot of cool stuff coming uh, to the Trilon and we'll be there for a lot of it. Uh, thank you so much to our uh, two wonderful guests, Eric and Seth, for being on another episode. Um, Eric, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I, I suppose on the internet, if you want to find me, the most likely place would be uh, Twitter. It's going to be at unintelevision. Um, I mostly just kind of ramble about Final Fantasy fourteen at this point, so uh, you just know what you're getting in for. Um, be prepared. That's a great and game set. that has a free demo up until level 60, right? Isn't that how that goes? Don't don't get me started, please. Um, I I I also have tried to play uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, uh, and you will find me not tweeting about it because that game beats my ass uh, at S N Zerati. Excellent. So uh, this is Trilove. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. 
My name is Jason Daphnis, again, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, thank you, Eric and Seth, for joining us. This was uh, a lot of fun. Shoutouts to Aaron, um, our, our other fella who is out uh, camping with his better half this weekend. And uh, if I know Aaron at all, he is not having a great time. Um, just kidding, kind of. Um, but hey, gotta do what you gotta do. Um, the great outdoors, baby. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. He also is absolutely never going to listen to this episode, so I would just like to add, like, uh, Gene That's Wolf true. sucks. Um, let's see, Morrowind is not as good as Oblivion. Uh, what else? What else can I say real quick? Freddy Gibbs is a, is a B-tier sure, rapper. at best, really. Um, and uh, dwarf lemon trees are overrated. Overrated plant. Um I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Well, what do you want me to say? My star quarterback comes to me the day before we play Brune County, the only team in the district that can kick our ass, and tells me he doesn't want to play. There's something up with that. You seem to be going through some life-defining turning point, and I'm not going to stand in the way of the human condition. You do what you have to do. Oh!